Hello, welcome to another, you know, podcast episode on the Intangible Podcast. And we're very glad to have our guest, Claire Smith, today. Hello. Hi. Uh, it, it's great to meet you. And uh, as I always start off the podcast episode, um, I'm going to ask, you know, the question, the question that I always ask, what inspired you to become an archaeologist? Well, I didn't plan to become an archaeologist. I planned to become a teacher. And in fact, I probably became a teacher. I'm a university teacher. I'm an archaeologist, obviously, but I teach at the university and do research at the university. And I always expected to be a teacher. I expected to be a primary school teacher, probably, or a high school teacher. And when I got to uni, that idea had kind of gone and I wanted to do economics and law and become a high-powered, interesting um, lawyer. And um, then I started, did ec history, economic history as part of my economics degree, studied Aboriginal um, history, deep history, uh -huh. um, as part of a topic and changed my mind. And uh -huh. I thought this is, I remember in the middle of the night rewriting an essay that I'd already submitted. Uh -huh. And... Um, I think, why am I doing this? It's, I've already given this in. I know it'll get a good mark. Yeah. And it, it was because it was on fire stick farming, Aboriginal use of land management and of fire for land management. And so I thought, and then I went to my, my lecturer and I said, what's this called? What's this stuff we're teaching? We're learning about called. And he said, well, it's called prehistory, which it was at that time. And um, and then I went around to try and find out, I thought about how do I study that? And he said, well, try Sydney or University of Sydney or Australian National University or the University of New England. Contact them and see. So I contacted people at two of those or those and they all recommended, ANU recommended themselves or the University of New England. And Sydney recommended themselves, or the University of New England. The University of New England recommended themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I went to UNE yeah. and did my undergraduate degree there. And my I had to change towns to do it, obviously, because it was Armadale, not Newcastle. And change towns, change degrees, change career. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, you talked a little bit about you know, ab Aboriginal culture and, and history, which kind of leads into my next question of you know, what are your current research interests? I've got a paper that's coming out um, very soon detailing them. At the moment, I'm interested in, I'm involved in three big projects. One is mm -hmm. um, Indigenous archaeology, which is archaeology that's shaped by Indigenous worldviews. So, you think about it, you're looking at um, Native American um, deep history from 12,000 years ago, but we're using a European mindset to try and understand it. Yeah. And it, and our minds are so at work, you know, there's lots of commonalities, obviously, in all humans, but, but different groups of people have different emphases. So um, Native American people and Indigenous people generally are much more interested in connections and we're interested, European minds kind of box things off. We say, you know, we classify things and put them into boxes, you know, um, even sometimes when they don't fit neatly because that's our system. That's the way we 
And we think of dichotomies, black, white, red, I don't know, um, black, white, nature, culture, so on. So that project is trying to understand Indigenous long-term history informed by Indigenous people. And part of that is, um, which is kind of like the next project, well, yeah, kind of the next project is braiding knowledge but or a thing that goes, which is braiding Indigenous science and Western science. So, um, and that's really important today for the challenges that we're facing today with climate, with all kinds of land land management, uh, rising seas, um, extinct animals, you know, Indigenous people stay on their land. Um, They don't all have to, but there are Indigenous people who do stay on their land and they've been in that land for generations and generations and generations. And so deep knowledge of land management has passed on and they've got a really nuanced no- knowledge of this animal comes out at this time of year mm-hmm. um, every year and it comes out at the same time that a flower comes out. And so if one of those doesn't come out at the same time, then there's a signal that something's wrong. So I'm interested in getting working with Indigenous people and getting help from Indigenous people in in land management. Mm-hmm. And that relates to sites as well, not just to management, but to the management and protection of sites, the archaeological sites. Um, I'm working on a site called Warrichi in um, um, the Flinders Ranges, which is nearly 50,000 years old, and that was excavated by Dr. Giles Ham and Dr. Cliff Coltard, and they asked me to help out in this project. And I'm doing the braiding knowledge aspects of that desert site, 50,000 years, one of the oldest desert sites in Australia. And it is, think of a desert, like you're thinking of sand, and it's not that sandy desert, but think of stony desert. It's like that stony yeah. Stony land, not much, very little water. And you think of people 50,000 years ago, Homo sapiens sapiens, people like you and me, same brain, same intellectual capacity. And they use that intellectual capacity to to cover, to traverse those big deserts, mm-hmm. those sandy deserts and those stony deserts. And to live in in where Warrachi is, which is um, in a big desert area. So, you know, people were absolutely incredibly attuned to the land and understanding the land to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm always working at Barunga. And in, at Barunga, we're working on income generation from heritage, cultural heritage. We're looking at um, using cultural heritage to... Uh, archaeology is a tool for using for putting heritage as it's part of the education system and part of small enterprises and um, dealing with inequities and dealing with um, racism as well, looking at understanding how why people the material aspects of everyday racism. Yeah. Um, and we're working towards building a knowledge centre there. So that knowledge centre, one of the hardest parts 
for researchers who want to work with Aboriginal communities or Native American communities is getting permission because mm -hmm. people don't, for good reasons, don't ha have um, are mistrustful because they've had histories of people coming and stealing bones or sacred objects, you know, not this generation, obviously, but, you know, 100 years ago or 50 years ago or and people were well, more, maybe 70 years ago. And there's an, a memory of that. Yeah. And so our idea for the centre is that people who want to be researchers can come there, can get to meet people, can get to know the protocols, and then maybe they might be able to do some research there. Hmm. So they're my major projects at the moment. Interesting. And uh, shifting gears a little bit, I think in the past you, you worked at the World Archaeology Congress, correct? I was the president of the World Archaeological Congress from... Uh, 2003 to 2014. And what was that like? And what did you do, you know, as the president of the World Archaeological Congress? What what were your responsibilities and what did you do? Yeah. Um, well, we had a council and an executive. There were people from all around the world and there were eight Indigenous representatives on the council. Um, but we organised major conferences and we organised inter-congresses Sometimes we would fund some projects, like a library project to get um, books into countries, into libraries where um, where people don't have access to books. Even today, um, you can't access everything at all when you're from a low-income country. Even India, with some of the better um, institutions in India, don't have access to all the journals that we have. And they're very, very expensive. And so there's very good reason for it. But that, that that kind of structural inequity yeah. we tried to deal with with WAC. Mm -hmm. um, and we did conferences on issues like who owns the past, um, illicit trade and looting, um, indigenous rights, um, you know, all sorts of um, political issues really. Yeah. And WAC is definitely has a social and political agenda to try and deal with, use the academy to deal with social inequity mm -hmm. or inequality. Yeah. So in June 2025, I'll be organising the 10th World Archaeological Congress, and that will be in Darwin, in Darwin, Australia. So um, that'll be fun. It'll be like, it will be the funnest conference because it'll just... We've got a whole like cultural agenda, indigenous films, indigenous artists, um, going out to cultural sites, um, painters, musicians, you know, so it's going to have it like a, an event, a cultural event, as well as a conference. Yeah, certainly. I mean, from what I've read, the World Archaeological Con Congress has been very, you know, successful and important. But moving on to, you know, what a lot of what this podcast is focused on, preservation, right? Um a question that I always like to ask is during, you know, your archaeological field work and during your work, what does the preservation process look like, right? What are some difficulties that arise? But in general, you know, what, what does it look like? Preservation. Well, sometimes it means preservation in situ, which means don't touch it. Mm. So it might be um, that you're excavating and then, you know, somebody, you might hit a human bone or something and then everything stops. 
-hmm. and there has to be consultation and maybe the bones will be moved and maybe they won't. Mm -hmm. Um, So preservation in situ is certainly one part of it. It's also education and really working with local custodians, local people, because the best way to protect a site is to have the local people looking after it. And they're the people with a vested interest in it because it's their, the land, their country. Yeah. Um, So it can be local preservation. Um, You know, for some things it might be conservation, but, you know, getting treated, like for some objects, but. Firstly, and it's preserving knowledge. So again, it's education. It's preserving the knowledge of that place so that people know where it is and what it means. And Mm. that in a fast changing world, that can be very important to, um, to Aboriginal people. Of course. Yeah. And on that topic, you know, of Aboriginal, you know, cultural heritage, why is that so important in, in, you know, in the, in all of the cultural heritage that there is out there? Why is it so important to preserve our Aboriginal cultural heritage specifically? Because each culture is different in its own way. And so that cultural heritage in, in it's a physical manifestation yeah. of ideas. It's also the physical locus of ideas. So, um, if you're thinking about a memento that you have, in, mm. think of something special that someone gave you, maybe mm. a parent or a grandparent or something. When you look at that, you think of those per- that person and you think of the things you did with that person and you think of the things they taught you and you think of their values and that makes your cultural connection there strong. Yeah. And it's the same for Aboriginal people. If you, ke- you keep that cultural heritage in place, then it makes the protection of heritage, the preservation of heritage strong. And Aboriginal heritage is its own unique heritage. And Australia, we have something like over 300 different Aboriginal languages. So they're very diverse. So you, what what's important, there's some stories that run across the country, absolutely, and down. But what's important in one part, say in Sydney, might not matter in Perth or what's something that's secret in Yurkala might be open in Alice Springs or the north or the centre or something that's open in Broome, um, and I'm thinking of particular objects, shell um, objects, inscribed shells, in Broome on the water, just open objects, not a, not a problem, but then you get into the middle of the desert and that object's been traded there and it's representing water and it's representing rain and it's representing continuation physical continuation of people and yeah. it's a secret sacred object wow. so they're diff- it, there's a great diversity as well well i think yeah what you said is is very important and that's something that i think you know the podcast me included everyone all the listeners have to understand right it's a lot more than just the artifact itself it's what it means to someone right so that's that's very important but a final question you know i'd like to ask before we wrap up this podcast episode is and i know this is actually a hard question for a lot of archaeologists but what has been your favorite or like your most impactful archaeological experience that you have been involved in um i probably it was when we did excavations near Barunga in the Northern Territory and we 
discovered a um, one of the students ex- we were excavating a stone knife, oh. and when we uncovered that, and it was dated, you know, to a couple of thousand years later. Later on, it was dated. The level was dated to that. Um, it's a pretty special thing to touch something and be in a place where the last person to touch that was 2,000 years ago. Wow, yeah. So you feel a connection to that person, whoever that person was. It's like, whoa, here am I and here are you. We're in the same space, we're in the same spot, but 2,000 years, same artifacts, same cave, same kind of the same landscape but different people yeah i think you know as we're wrapping up this episode i think more than just teaching us about preservation you've taught us a lot about the beauties of archaeology and that's certainly something i'll remember and i hope you know those listening to the podcast remember so with that you know i'd like to thank you so much for coming on today to this podcast episode it's been you know great fun hearing from you and it's not every day i have a guest from australia so that, that that's really, really cool. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And shall we do a quick flick of the countryside so people can appreciate that we are in summer in of Australia? Course. Of course, yeah. We're here in winter. But... So I'm on my front porch. But Australia... You can see there's lots. It's all summery. It's all summer, yeah. Yes. However, we will. We have a we swim, we swim every day. <laughs> However, we're Australian. We used we expect to do that. But um, as I said before, you know, when we we're talking, you'll get summer and we'll get winter. Of course. <laughs> of, course. Of, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much.